Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. All right. Um, so this morning, I want to talk about um, the final test before the promotion. Yeah, right? So Romans, right? Hallelujah. We're there. <laughs> Everybody get out your pencils, right? You can't, you can't. The, the good news about uh, God's test is that he actually gives you like, you can look at the, it's an open book test. You know, the cheat sheet is available. Um, so uh, let, let me read to you out of Romans 8, 14 through 17, out of the uh, uh, New International Version. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so there's so much there. But I want, I want you to note something for in the first sentence in verse 14, he says this, for those who are led by the spirit of God, it does not say those who are led by their emotions. It does not say those that are led by their experience. It does not say those who are led by their thoughts. It does not say those who are led by their offenses. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You know, um, at, when I first became a believer and I was growing up and I was maturing in Christ, I really kind of focused a lot on the gifts because I was, you know, most of you have heard my testimony. I got saved by hearing the audible voice of the Lord, which is not common. So I was birthed into the prophetic, like born into this world where I was seeing in the spirit, I'm hearing in the spirit, and I'd never even read the Bible. So it was, it was as my daughter said, I went from zero to shofar overnight, and that is no lie. I was casting demons out of my cat, okay? That's, and I didn't even know what that was, but my cat was like, it's like, who knew that was a thing? So, but, but I had a lot of experience because I got saved late in life. I was like 40 years old. Um, so I had a lot of worldly experience and I had achieved a lot of worldly success. And so when you've done that, now the good news is I didn't grow up in the church. I was very unchurched, so that's good. So there wasn't a whole lot of religion, but what there was is a whole lot of, of thinking, feeling, emotions that I had to get rid of. And so that was hard. It's hard when you're an adult and you're trying to adult and, and you've got things to do and bills to pay and everything. And, but the processes of God and the ways to be led are not through all of that. We're not to be led by our minds. It's not that we lose our minds, but we're to be led by the Spirit. Grounded in the Word, led by the Spirit. Grounded in the Word, led by the Spirit. Amen? So I had to develop within myself a different way of living. 
And um, that way became Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. You see, the final test before your breakthrough, the final test before your promotion, biblically, I'm going to prove this, is the test of presumption. And the thing about presumption is that it's so subtle. It's not the blaring sin issues that we think are causing us to stumble. It's not greed. It's not lust. It's not all of these things that we, you know, we've got the list of to-dos and not to-dos, but it's subtle. But yet, biblically, it is the very thing that God is saying has to die in order for you to be led by the Spirit. Are you with me? All right, so I'm going to define presumption because, you know, that helps me. Um, Presumption is the belief on reasonable grounds or probable evidence. It's to act or proceed with unwarrantable, that's a mouthful, or impertinent boldness. It is to take something for granted or suppose. So in other words, it's to presume when the direction or conclusion is obvious. You see, for me, I had so much experience at life that that situations or circumstances would present themselves, and I'm like, I got this. I build businesses. I have kids. I have experience. And so I would be presumptive when these situations would present themselves because I knew I knew what to do because I had all of this experience. But I can tell you that a lot of the time, I would be led by an emotion that led me into a decision, or I would be led by fear that led me into a decision that was wrong more times than right. And then I would find myself going, oh God, help me. I got myself in another problem. And so God, in his faithfulness, would send the cleanup crew. He'd send the angels in. He would send, but, but, but it came at a cost. And the cost is time. The cost was money. The cost was broken relationships. The cost was brokenheartedness. And most of the time, I did it to myself. Because I presumed I knew when, in fact, I wasn't asking and I wasn't led. Am I preaching anybody's story? See, presumption is subtle. Overcoming presumption is the final nail in your coffin. When you've surrendered even your wisdom, knowledge, emotions, and experience to God, you have fully received the blood-bought adoption because he says this. When you are led by the Spirit of God, then you will be known as the sons of God. Then it goes on to say, you will have a legacy in God. You will be joint heirs. You're actually going to have a partnership. You're actually going to be co-laboring with him instead of being like, I got this. I got this. You know that song, Jesus Take the Wheel? I was always like, right over there, I got this. You just 
you just talk to me, you know, let's just have a relationship. I'm not going to actually ask you what to do. I'm just going to spend time with you. It took me time to really begin to go over into the place where I began to be uh, submitted fully. I'm like, well, I'm submitted because I'm not doing the bad stuff. Girl, you're not submitted because you're not doing the good stuff. Yeah. All right. God tells us not to sin in our anger, but I'm telling you, you can put any emotion there and God tells you not to sin in it. Don't sin in your fear. Because what he's talking about is you're actually acting out of emotions or you're acting out of your feelings instead of just saying, I'm going to submit myself to God in this situation and I'm not going to go and start doing things in my own strength and in my own might and in my own power, in my own ideas. I'm going to, I'm going to think through this. I'm going to process through this and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have a, an idea, (laughs) man. God, John can tell you, I have gotten myself in so many messes. We both have, haven't we, honey? Okay, right. <laughs> you have no idea what it's like being married to me, but John spends, you know, John's like, never mind. See, we are the people. We've gotten so smart, we're so educated. We are so PhD'd in everything. It's like, I'm going to get, yeah, Matthew, I'm going to get so smart. I'm going to get so knowledgeable. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to Google it. Uh, Don't get me started about Google right now. All right. We have the capacity and the, the ability to fix the problem. We're Americans. We can fix it. I've got the solution. Hold on a minute. Let me just think. We have the ability to change things in our own strength. It's easy. It's easy for us. It's convenient, readily available. We can do it. We're Americans. And not only are we Americans, even better than that, we're Texans. All right? We get it done walking backwards in boots while eating bacon. Come on. So I'm going to make my point with the tale of two kings, okay? So turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, and we're going to start in uh, chapter 10. All right, the two kings, King Saul and King David. Chapter 10, verse 6. When you're there, yell at me. If you have a, if you have a paper Bible. All right, we're going to start with 6. Okay, let me just give you... So the people of the land in Israel, they're crying out for a king, and God's like, I don't know, man, that's not a good idea. You know, if you get a king, he's going to want your money and he's going to want your sons. Because you get a king, he's going to go to battle. He's going to want your money because he's going to want a big house and he's going to want your sons. And they said, no, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king. And he's like, all right. So I got this guy, he's really good looking and he is tall and bronze made out of, he's big, looks like what you think a king should look like. Kind of a Mel Gibson. I don't know. Who's a big, who's a big king? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, I digress. Braveheart, come on. You're with me. 
All right, so he sends in the prophet Samuel, and he's like, all right, Samuel, I want you to pour some oil over this guy named Saul. And, and, and Samuel said, hey, I'm going to pour this over you, and it's going to change you. And he gives him a list of things to do. And then we go in in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, and it says, then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with these uh, prophets these, them, and be turned into another man. What? That's amazing. He's talking about us right there, but. And let it be, verse 7, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. Jump down to verse 9. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart And all those signs came to pass that day. Can you imagine? Yes, you can. Because the anointing that came on him came on you when you accept Jesus into your life to be your Lord and your Savior. Not just your Savior, but your Lord. Why do you call him Lord? Because he's the master. He's the guy that gets to lead. He's the king that gets to decide. The anointing, Christ means anointed one. He came and lived on the inside of you. And the minute you said, yeah, yes, it's like the Holy Spirit came and poured oil on your head. And you became the new man. You became somebody that got a new heart. And everybody saw it on him. The New Testament calls you kings and priests. You are a king that has been anointed just like the kings of old to to operate and to function with authority and power, but not outside of the limits of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So he says this to him. He said, um, okay, I'm going to, in um, chapter 12, in, uh, let's start in uh, verse 13. Now, therefore, he is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. He's talking to the people of the land. And take note, the Lord has now set a king over you. 14, verse 14. If you fear the Lord, serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against his the commandments of the Lord, then both you and the king will reign then both you and then the king will reigns, that reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. And so he's saying three things. He said this, number one, I require that you fear me. In other words, I require that you acknowledge that I know and you don't. And that's kind of hard to do when you've been successful. Because things have worked a certain way, of course they're going to keep working that way. But we forget, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't heal the blind man the same way twice. I'll never forget one time I went to, to heal somebody who was suffering. It was actually Ariel Menchaca. She was suffering with a sinus infection. 
She was like, man, I'm in so much pain. And so I went over and I prayed for her. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I've done this. I've, you know, I've seen this healing before. So I prayed, nothing happened. And I'm like, what is going on? Oh, wait, I forgot to ask the Holy Spirit. Okay, how do you want me to do this? And the Lord said, I want you to hit her in the head. (laughs) Do you remember that? And so I was like, okay. So I just went, whoopsh. And she was so shocked. And I said, I said, be healed. And she was, I'm like, are you healed? And she was like, whoa, that worked. So again, you just got to ask, seek and knock, and he's going to answer us. That was funny. That was a funny day. All right. So here was the situation. Okay. So you've got the anointed king. Now, it's not even that much longer. It's like a couple of years later, right? He hasn't even been king that long, Oh, King Saul. And um, he goes to battle. Um, so he's in this battle with the Philistines, of course. It's like the Philistines, the Philistines, the Philistines. Everywhere you look, there's a Philistine, okay? So, so he's fighting the Philistines and gets into trouble. And so his men, I think they were like, how many were there? Wait, hold on, I'll tell you. There was a lot of them. Oh, 2,000. 3,000. There were 3,000 and 2,000. Maybe there were 5,000. I don't know, a lot. They start hiding. I mean, these are, these are fighters, soldiers. Can you imagine an American army? It's like, where are your men? Well, you know, they're hiding. You can find them over there in the caves. So the men of Israel in verse 6, chapter 13, verse 6, when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, they, the, the people, they hid in caves. Well, okay. So Saul, it says this, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Uh-oh. Okay. So you've got an opportunity here. He's in a test. Saul is being tested right now. The prophet's late and the people are scattered. Well, what are you going to do? So verse 11, and Samuel came to him. So Samuel comes and Samuel said, what have you done? Okay, wait, 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 let me back up. Okay, so in verse nine, Saul brings a a burnt offering and a peace offering, okay? So he starts doing all of that on his own without Samuel telling him to do so. Samuel had told him, I want you to wait until I get there. But he didn't because he got scared. Verse 11, and Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash, which sounds like, you know, I don't know. Verse 12, and then I said, the Philistines now have come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. I felt, I felt compelled. And so he said, remember, what were the three requirements? Fear the Lord, obey his commandments, and obey the voice of the Lord. So Samuel said in verse 13, you have done foolishly. 
You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over the people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Oh, man, look at that. Look at, look at what just happened there. Had he waited for the appointed time, he would have been promoted. But because he didn't, the Lord thought it so serious that he would not submit himself to God. That he had the fear of man and not the fear of God. He had the fear of losing his position or even his promise over the fear of God. So in other words, he didn't trust God. He took matters into his own hands. I got this. I've been doing this a couple of years. I'm good. I can take matters into my own hands. All right. So he takes the kingdom from him. That's pretty serious. So he went to fix the problem. All right, let's look at David. Now, so he sends Samuel. There was something else that happened with King Agag. Anyway, but with, with Saul. But, he, but with, with Samuel, so he sends uh, Samuel. He says, all right, I want you to go and find me this other king, the man after my own heart. And so he goes and he begins to inspect these brothers, and he sees a whole lineup of brothers, right? And they're all beautiful, and they're tall, and they look like Saul. And so he's thinking to himself, the king must be among these. And the Lord's like, no, no, no. Actually, I'm looking for another one. So it's not among these, because I'm looking. I don't judge by the outward appearance, but the inward heart. God hasn't changed his mind about that, by the way. We're to have clean hands and a pure heart. He's looking for those who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Those that have a heart like David, not the outward appearance, but the inward appearance of love and belief and courage. So, so David doesn't look the part. It says that he's ruddy with bright eyes. Do you know that David had blue eyes? You've got the Hebrew tribes. They're all the brown eyes. They're the dark skin, the dark hair. But here you've got the ruddy one with the light, with the light appearance and the bright eyes, the blue eyes. Isn't that incredible? So he, he didn't have the stature, but he had the heart. Okay, here he was. What does he do? He gets anointed, gets the oil poured over him. Now, when the oil comes on David, when the anointing comes on him, the anointing leaves Saul. Saul's probably just hanging out and all of a sudden, whoop. He can feel the dryness. He can feel that the nearness of God has left him. And he's like, what is going on? I don't understand it. Was it something I ate? Am I having a bad day? I don't know. But so uh, uh, David goes on. What does he do? He kills the bear. He kills the lion. He kills Goliath. He's got the 10,000 men. This guy is, there's limitless the power of the anointing, the new heart, the new man. All of a sudden, he is fearless. Such a beautiful thing. And Saul's looking at him, and he's going, uh-oh. What's going on with this David guy? 
You see, the truth is, you don't have to be, you don't have to worry about getting promoted because God will promote you if you will stop trying to promote yourself. There's such beauty in that. David wasn't trying to get anywhere other than just to be kind to Saul and just to have a relationship with Saul and just to honor Saul. And we can see this even after he, uh, Saul began to track him down and try to kill him because he was jealous of him and realized that the anointing now was on David. So David is under the test of presumption. So he encounters Saul at night in a cave. And he could have taken his life at that time. He could have taken, because he, it, the word says he had him under his knife. But he was like, nope, not going to touch God's anointed. Because he had not been commanded by God. He backs away and he understands he has the fear of the Lord. He's not willing to promote himself, but he's waiting for God to promote him. Do you know that it's possible today to promote yourself and go around and create destruction everywhere you go where there's death? You create death instead of light trying to get you to where you want to go instead of waiting for the Lord. So he cut off the the corner of his robe. It happened again when he had him under his knife. All he did was walk away in the middle of the night with his spear and his bottle of water. Can you imagine? He woke up and he's like, what? Twice he passed the test of presumption. And then his final test was at Ziklag. He had been in in a battle with the Philistines. And he comes home, he and his mighty men, which when I say these mighty men, these guys were, they were troublemakers. They were the ones who were in debt. They were the ones who were discouraged. And they said, let's follow that guy because at least we get to, I don't know, kill giants. And so he's hanging out with these 400 men who I'm sure haven't bathed. (laughs) And he finds himself in a desperate situation at Ziklag. Now, it's been eight years since he's been anointed king. Eight years waiting on the promise, not seeing it living in the wilderness, and he's in this city, which is a Philistine city of Ziklag, and they were able to take up residency there for about four years. So they get back to this city of Ziklag, and they find that the Amorites had taken, had set it ablaze, and had taken their women, their wives, and their children. And these men that are closer than brothers are weeping and ripping their clothes. They're devastated. And in their devastation and in their exhaustion, they're having an emotion. They're angry. They're like, okay, we've time. We have a situation here. They've been taken. They've been kidnapped. All of our belongings, everything Everything we love 
You know, we're the least of the tribes. This is all we have. We don't have honor. We don't have respect. We don't have money. All we have is our families, and they've now been taken. And so it says in, hold on, let me turn to it. 1 Samuel 30, it says this in verse 8. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. And then there's this pause. And it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. He didn't run out in presumption to do what was in his own heart. He didn't say, I feel like this is what we should do. This is Captain Obvious here. Of course, this is what they should do. Because of love. We're going to go rescue them. But it says, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar, Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord and said, shall I pursue this troop? And he answered to him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. He passed the test of presumption. And beloved, let me tell you something. When that test comes to you, it's going to be hard. Because everything around you is going to want to force you into functioning in your own strength to fix the problem. The ones, the people around you are going to be yelling at you to make a different decision or make a decision in order to make them feel better. Finances will be screaming at you. Situations will be loud and you're going to be hemmed in on every side and you're going to want to fix the problem. But God is saying, Wait on me, listen to me, and follow me. So right after that, he gets promoted. Well, right after that, the Philistines actually kill Saul and Jonathan. David didn't have to do it. God had another plan. And it was the best way. It was God's way, not the good way. It was God's way. You see, there is coming a day when you will stand before God. And it says that you will have to answer for everything. Every, thank you. Every word. Preach it, girl. You'll, it, you'll be held accountable for it. Did you do what I told you to do? You see, Jesus encountered the very same test when he was in the wilderness, having not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And I can tell you, I've done a lot of fasts, and there was only one time where I did a 40-day fast where I just did water. And man, that's, it's hard. It's hard. And in that place, you're trying to worship the Lord, but I kept thinking fried chicken. 
<laughs> Please, God, just some fried chicken. You're planning, you're planning your meal, you know. Not your last meal, but your first meal. I know where I'm going to go. And you, you've broken it down to like not just the hour, but the minutes that you're going to get there. Okay, okay. My fast is over at this time. So I'm actually going to go to the restaurant and I'm going to sit there with my menu having ordered it. So at that moment that it ends, I'm ready. It's coming into my mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've t- been told by so many people, oh, you know, you have to break a fast in the right way. You've got to start with vegetables, raw vegetables. And I'm like, that's no. I'm going to pray and I'm going to bless this food and God's going to be, I'm, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, Jesus is on this fast and um, the enemy comes to him with the test of presumption. And he's like, I know you're hungry. You know, I know you want that fried chicken. Now, if you take these stones and turn them into fried chicken. No, he said bread. But if there had been fried chicken, it would probably have been his choice. (laughs) So if you take these stones and just turn them into bread, you can immediately be satisfied. The, The weakness, the pain that you're in, you can absolve all of this right now. Just do it. Take it in your own strength. Fix it. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Every word of God, every word of God, not sometimes. And see, it took me a while to get this. And I, and, 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 and I don't want to say that I'm stubborn. I was just, I thought I knew. And then the weirdest thing happened. <laughs> I finally got it where I realized that God is actually smarter than me and he knows the situation and he's looking to promote me, but he wants to do it in his way. And so all of the ways and my experience and my ideas and everything, it always works better when he does it. So how should we live? He said this, number one, fear the Lord. Number two, serve him. And number three, obey his voice. Practically, you're going to ask, you're going to seek, and you're going to knock. You're going to ask the counselor. You know, it says that he is the counselor. That's one of his names. He really, really, really knows. Number two, you're going to seek a multitude of counsel from wise and fruitful leaders. When you ask God what to do, you can have confidence in the outcome. Now, let me tell you, a lot of times I ask God what to do, and he tells me, and it looks insane. It looks crazy. And I'm going, okay, okay, I'm just going to do that, or I'm going to say that. And it's hard sometimes to stand, especially as a prophetic people to stand on words that look like they're impossible to come to pass. And he makes you say them, not to people like in a whisper, but he makes you say them on Facebook. (laughs) He makes you say things as a prophet, and you're like, I'd really rather not say that. I don't want to put myself out there. And he's like, okay, let's do this. Do it. 
now. And you're like, all right. And you say it, and then you have to wait. <laughs> and sometimes along with that comes criticism and, and persecution. And, you know, I mean, we're in pretty good company. You know, Jesus was mocked. He's like, what do you mean the temple's going to come down in three days? Do you know how long it took us to build this temple? That guy's crazy. But in fact, it did. It took three days to raise him from the dead. And the new temple, what happened to that temple? Well, I'm pretty sure the veil got torn and the altar got crashed in half, right? You know, there are some difficult decisions that I've had to make in doing what I do. And the answer always seems obvious. I can put together the whole thing, but I might know, even though all of this looks obvious, I am not going to move until I've heard from the Lord. And so I wait and I ask, God, what am I to do? I need you to speak to me on this. I submit this to you, and I'm asking you to speak to me. And without fail, he'll either give me a dream that night or within a short period of time. And it is about exactly what I asked him. He is faithful. If you ask, then you will receive. If you seek him for these things, he's so excited to partner with you. And if you knock he will open that door to the answer that you need. All right. So here's what I want to do. Where's my piano player? Nikki? See anywhere? No? So here's what I want to do. Um, Let's stand. Judd, can you put some music on for me? I really feel like there's an opportunity here for us to repent for presumption. Because we're moving into this, and here's the truth. You don't have time to go around this mountain again. We've run out of time. And we're going to have to really press into him in a way that we've never pressed in before. Because it's time for a lot of you to start accessing the promotion that God has laid before you. And the the problem is not on his behalf, but it's on ours. I've been the problem for many, many years of stalling the promises of God for my life. And I don't want to do that, and I know you are ready. Because the truth is, is that the world is crying out for the sons and daughters to rise up. The earth, as we see it today, is groaning to see you step into the place that God has for you. That we would yield and stop going around trying to fix things. So just close your eyes with me. 
Well, Father, we love you. And we thank you that we're your sons and daughters and we're in your family. And this morning, God, we cry out, Abba, Abba, Abba. We cry out, Father. You have adopted us into this beautiful story, into this journey, into this life of supernatural, abundant, impossible dreams. And you let us participate and partake of these, God. I ask you this morning that you would forgive us where we've operated in presumption of what to do. God, we repent where we've stepped out in our own strength. We've stepped out in our own thinking. We've stepped out in our own might, God. Would you come, Jesus? We just submit ourselves this morning to your leadership. Father, would you give us grace to remember to ask, to seek, and to knock for your heart and for your leadership, God. We love you. We love you, God. Thank you that you have the very best in store for us. Thank you, Father, that the best is yet to come. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. We just have to ask. And so we love you, God, and we bless you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.